All right. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first official episode of the For Future Reference podcast. My name is Grayson Perkins, and I am joined by Noah Connor, my friend, my compatriot, my trusted ally. Say hello to everyone, Noah. How's everybody doing tonight? And today we've had something very special happen on this day in history. Um, the Berlin Wall was destroyed, taken down, demolished, and uh, people in East and West Berlin and East and West Germany were finally reunited with their loved ones once again. Uh, so that has happened on this day in history. And what year was that, Noah? That was uh, November 9th. That's 1989. 1989. Wow. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty important day. You know, I, I, I've never, I never really, uh, I wasn't alive for it to happen, but uh, the importance of that is uh, quite clear. So, uh, today yeah, we... I think it's exciting. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's exciting that that happened in 1989. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it great um <laughs> so we've got a few things on the agenda today um music movies or we're going to be talking a little bit about a documentary called room 237 that's about um it's about the shining and stanley kubrick's intentions in that movie well we're going to be talking about bohemian rhapsody a little bit which i did not see but noah has seen uh we're going to be talking about um some really good music and we're also going to be talking about some video games, and that includes Fallout 76 and Bioshock. So, um, Noah, you want to just get right into it with the music, man? Yeah, let's start. Um, so today, not today, this past couple weeks, I was listening to Maroon 5, and I really liked it. I thought it was excellent. And what um, album specifically have I recommended you? So you recommended, um, <clears throat> your record, uh, recommended Songs About Jane. So it came around 2002. Um, one of the big ones, I think, was She Will Be Loved and um, Sunday Morning. And oh, I really, really so enjoyed good. it. Sunday Morning is like, I think that's one of the best songs on the album. Yeah, as well as This Love, too, which I think doesn't maybe get as much love as She Will Be Loved or Sunday Morning, but I really enjoyed that one. No, nah, man, um, This Love is like, that's like one of their top played songs. Like, look at Is it, it really? Oh, yeah, dude. Huge, huge. I mean, look at it on Spotify, dude. It's got oh, wow. millions more plays than the other. But This Love was their most popular song for a long time until they went straight pop. Oh, was it really? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I love songs about Jane. You know, I grew up listening to Maroon 5. My parents loved them, and we loved them. And we stopped listening to them right about, like, right after um, Overexposed came out, which is when they decided to go full pop. You know, um, yeah. I mean, I, I hear their most re because of the radio station that's on my work. Oh, you and... cut out there for a second. I didn't catch that. Oh yeah, I just want to say uh, I hear their music pretty regularly. Their newer stuff, and yeah. I'm not a fan <laughs> in any way. It's really bad. It's not great. I listened to it the other day just just to see because I don't listen to the radio, and uh, <laughs> not not a fan. No, the girls like you song is played like so much and it and it, it it's it's deafening it really is i just think it's so generic pop it, I, especially with cardi b coming into it it's like <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know they went it's just not good 
Yeah, they sold out. I, is it even back. them as a band anymore, or is it just Adam Levine and a producer in the studio? I really don't know. I'm not familiar with the uh, the whole setup that they have, but yeah. I'll have to say I'm not a fan. Well, anyway, I I think uh, I think that uh, songs about Jane is easily one of their best albums. I don't think it is is their best album. In my opinion, their best album is uh, is uh, it won't be soon before long, which is f- just fantastic. Um, and then uh, they have another good album called Hands All Over, which is really good. But uh, spoiler alert, next for next podcast, I'm going to be recommending you It Won't Be Soon Before Long, which has even greater songs than songs about Jane. Like, so many more better songs. In my opinion, at least. You might disagree. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm looking forward to it because I certainly liked what I heard. Um, I had some thoughts about it. I really enjoyed how... Um... Like, it kind of starts off very, you know, very much like a, a relationship, a budding relationship. You know, everybody's in love. And then it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of breaking up. At, and then by the end of it, you know, one of the song's titles is Not Coming Home, I'm Through With You, Sweetest Goodbye. So I like the framing and how it was kind of yeah. like a relationship uh, kind of measured out in an album. Oh, yeah. I really like how they played on that. Um, and something that I've never really noticed before because I think when we listen to music, it's mostly on the radio or like a playlist and not necessarily as much with albums. Um, and just having it, having like the framing device as the album with um, each song, kind of like each sort of stage in a relationship. I really liked how they played on that with that. And um, mm. yeah, I thought, you know, I thought the songs were obviously very good. She'll be loved this love Sunday morning. Excellent. Um, mm. Really good. Definitely going to be in the heavy rotation. Nice, man. Sweet. Yeah, I'm glad I could recommend you something that you ended up liking. Um, yeah, I, I always I always notice that about this album that it sort of seems like it's very narrative, you know, like it, um, it, it really a lot of the songs tell a story about a relationship. And, um, you know, the title itself is named Songs About Jane. And I'm sure that the woman's name that Adam Levine or whoever was writing the bulk of the songs uh, was in a relationship was probably not Jane, because I don't think guess. she would have appreciated that <laughs> very much. Um, yeah, maybe some lawsuits would have been happening. Yeah, dude, I'd sue for money. I'd sue. Oh man, gosh. if I if Adam Levine screwed me over in a relationship or vice versa, and then uh, you know I he went on and wrote a bunch of songs about it, I would totally, totally try and get some money out of that man. Absolutely. I, I wonder, don't see why he wouldn't. What do you think his net worth is? I'm going to look that up. Adam Levine's net worth. I bet it's like a surprising number. <clears throat> Let's see. A moment of truth. $90 million. Whoa. <laughs> That's like a lot more than I thought. I thought it'd be like, you know, like $30 million bucks. 30, yeah, 30. 30 yeah, wow. like some, some mid-range like that. Like, dude. <clears throat> $90 million. That's Damn. nuts, dude. Well, I'm think about it. He does The Voice, doesn't he? That show where they're in the spinny chairs and they press the button and turn around. And like, oh, you're a really good singer. You haven't heard of The Voice? I've heard of The Voice. I've just never watched it, ever. Oh, well, they have. I've seen it like a couple times on cable and they have. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting concept. Like. They've got these uh, 
uh, total strangers. It doesn't rip off American Idol at all. Trust me. <laughs> They've got these total strangers that come up and sing a song or whatever. And they're all sitting in chairs. Like all the judges are sitting in chairs. not fa- They're like facing the audience, but they're not facing the stage. Yep. And like each person, each judge has to create their own team. So they're sitting in these big chairs that spin and they press a button and it spins around. And I think like the first person to press the button and the thing, then the chair spins around, like they get that person on their team or something. I don't know, okay. it, but I don't know the whole details about it, but I just know they have big, bu- big red buttons and big red spinning chairs and people sing really good on that show. So, well, you had me at big, big red buttons. Yeah. Who doesn't, <laughs> I, I don't understand. I mean, what? I'm 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 down with the show as long as it's got big red buttons. I'm good to go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, There's no context to that. Okay. Yeah, I was searching for one. I was like, uh, is there a joke hidden in here somewhere? Nope. Nope. Not at all. You'll find that to be a common occurrence with me. That's okay, buddy. Sure. <laughs> um. Anyway, so Maroon 5, uh, out of 10, what would you rate songs about Jane? I would give it a solid 8. 8 out of 10. Wow. That's gen- That's good. That's Yeah. That's very pretty, generous. Uh, that's, that is generous. Very generous. Um, yeah. I'm uh, I'm definitely liking it. It'll be heavy, heavy rotation. Nice, man. All right. All right. Well, uh, so I was um, recommended by you to listen to The Arcs. And their album, Yours Dreamily. Um, I thought this album was okay. It had some songs that were really, really, really good. But to me, they were overshadowed by the songs that were not necessarily bad, but the amount of songs that were just mediocre in the fact that they sounded the same. Like, yeah, that's definitely a trapping of uh, Dan Auerbeck. He, he, he's very he falls very easily into the same sound i'll give you that yeah i mean it, like there were a few where i could really get into like um rosie ooh la la is a great song searching the blue and of course those are the last two on the album but um i think that the intro once we begin is really good and the way that it goes into out of my mind is pretty good um but put a flower in your pocket i think is the best song on the album and that's probably you know i'm not surprised that it's the uh their most played song I'm yeah, not it's, surprised it's, at all. It's a solid song. It has a really good music video. I don't know if sure that was video is animated in a very um like it's it's in the same sort of um style as the album art. It's like yeah. kind of like like Mexico sort of inspired mm. animation and it's really good. Interesting. Um, but yeah. That's a it's a really good song and um I kind of I do agree with you. I think that there's like a lot of songs that very much sort of blend together mm-hmm. in this album. Um but yeah, I think there's a, like a lot of really good songs that kind of get overshadowed by the fact that the rest of them sound very similar. I agree. I agree strongly with that. I also think that like the lyrics are so vague to some of the songs that it takes away from your enjoyment because you're just trying to figure it out and you're like, oh, this is really deep and it doesn't make much sense. Or like... It feels like it's kind of purposely written to be edgy and strange, and it's just like, ah, uh, you know, okay. 
you should yeah, be trying does. for a certain something, and I get it, but you know. He, he does have a target demographic with this. Um, me being one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just Dan Arbeck in general. Any, any, any of this work, anything that he's produced is, uh, is you know, I think is really good. What other stuff has he done? He did, he was the, um, the lead singer and I think guitarist for uh, the Black Keys, and okay. they did, they've done a lot of good work. They, again, fell into the same sort of uh, sort of like garage sort of garage like indie rock sort of thing where he would use like a distortion on his voice for way too many songs yeah um, yeah i know that then, about yeah, the keys yeah that, that that's like my biggest complaint with the keys um but they really do pull it around with a lot of their like really inventive and creative good songs they have but mm-hmm. everything else like that's kind of just the filler uh it's just it it's just not good in comparison and like with this album kind of overshadows the other work because it does again fall into the same sort of trappings and i think it's the 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 voice distortion sort of thing yeah um, just sing into the microphone don't i know it it, it gives me problems every time i hear it but um but i think does does he do that distortion live i don't know thanks for coming out tonight everybody I'm gonna sing a, a an unintelligible song, and you won't be able to understand any of the lyrics. I mean, we could just do a podcast like this. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't hate that idea. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he does live. I really don't. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it it can get annoying. I think where it's used properly, it's really good. Of course. Like, um, yeah. So I think that's good. It's just he just needs to stop it with some of the some of the other songs and just sing. Stop I totally agree. Get some help. Um, and then he did. So he did this, which was like a. Uh, he just kind of did it as a side project, and then he did. He's done two solo albums. Yeah, um, I'm looking at his uh, his solo uh, page on yeah on uh, the the, the first yeah the first solo album really good. Second one also good. I think the first one's a lot stronger than the second one. Uh, he kind of diverted and tried like a lot of different stuff with the second one, which I didn't hate. Just didn't really feel like a. A Dan Arbeck album, um, and then yeah. he even he even produced. So my favorite artist, uh, Haniel Katab, mm-hmm. he produced his second album and really worked and really fine tuned his um, his style in a way that it really was really fitting uh, with Dan Arbeck mm-hmm. in his style. So I think that album is is really good in my opinion. That one is called um, um, the name is escaping me. It's Haniel Katab's second album. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so overall, I think he's really good. I think he's got a lot. I think he's got some problems though, uh, with, with, with a lot of his work. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's like that niche section of alt rock where you've got, um, them grouped in with like Arctic monkeys and like yeah. similar artists. And it's, I don't know what to call it, but it's really, really like, it's, it it feels tiring to listen to. Like I I love some of the songs and I love like I love a lot of Arctic Monkeys work and I think it's fantastic, but it's not something that I can just keep going and keep listening to. And I think that's like a different thing between you and me. Like I I, I we have a lot of similar interests, but like I just can't. <laughs> I just can't for yep. for forever, man. I got to take it in like small doses. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm really in the mood for like some black keys, you know. I'm really in the mood for Arctic Monkeys, and it's just like, it's a fleeting moment. 
you know yeah it, it's not something that you're like i'm gonna listen to this every day and have no, no problem no um and I'm a, I'm a huge Arctic fan. I even saw them live. Which yeah, is awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, they're they're new. I, I would recommend, and this probably isn't your recommendation, but the new Arctic Monkeys album mm-hmm. is completely different. Really, um, and it has a really weird long name that I won't be able to recall. But Tranquility um, Base Hotel and Casino. Yes, Tranquility Base Hotel. Yeah, that one. Uh, it's it's really good, but it's like if you're if you're an Arctic Monkeys fan, you're not gonna be like clamoring for it it's a really different album it's basically mm-hmm. like, like a smooth jazz rock sort of thing it's really jazzy but it's like it's really it's it's a completely different type of album mm. that i think is a little bit easier to listen to yeah um, than a lot of their other work but is really it's a huge departure from their um from their bread and butter which is like pretty like bluesy rock sort of um indie bluesy rock i don't know yeah i i loved am i thought am was fantastic yeah, AM is AM is like their superior album. Uh, it, it's just like so many songs, and they kind of fall in the same trapping where it's like a lot of their songs sound similar, but they're all so like expertly done that it's really hard to not like any of them uh, on on AM. Yeah, I mean, Humbug was okay. Uh, that's the only one I listened to. I didn't listen to in either of their other. I listened to Humbug and AM, and that's all I know. But like. They're they're also kind of similar, in a way. Yeah, you know, AM is definitely an improvement, but Humbug is. Uh, yeah, I think AM really, re, AM really does improve on a lot of what they had, and they do. It is really like a very refined mm-hmm. version of them. Yeah. Um, and it's probably their best version. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of their earlier work does suffer from sounding similar, but it, there's enough good songs in there to keep you going. Um, oh yeah there's some there's some weird like odds and ends mm-hmm. in their older stuff Certainly. um he, he he actually even did a solo album actually it wasn't a solo album it was a soundtrack to a movie um but I, i'm forgetting the movie name but basically it's just him and it's like um it's just him with like a guitar and it's really good um yeah. and he's just does some solo work there um it's pretty different from what uh from what of the arctic monkeys have done before nice man well Back to the arcs. Um, I do not like yours dreamily as much as I like AM by the Arctic Monkeys. That is for no, sure. No, I totally. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I think that I kind of want to listen to their EP, The Inventors, because I want to see if the rest of their music is you know, similar to what they did on yours dreamily. Yeah. I think I've, I've touched around on their EPs. I can't remember being impressed, Mm. although I basically just listened to yours dreamily. Um, but I don't think it would be a bad thing to check those out. No, no, I'll definitely look at it. Um, but yeah, what's your, uh, have you thought about what you're going to recommend me yet? Or you're going to tell me later? Sorry, say that again. Have you thought about what you're going to recommend me yet? Or are you um, saving that thinking, one for later? Thinking maybe another Dan Dan Arabic. Okay, uh, I'll give I'll give it album. a shot, man. Yeah, his first album is solid. Um, although, if you had problems with Yours Dreamly, it has probably some of those same problems. Mm. Um, but it's it, I think it's probably superior to this album. All right, awesome. Great. Yeah. So, what are you thinking as a as a rating on uh, Yours Dreamly? Oof. Uh... <laughs> 
I'll give it a six. Um, six. Okay, I, I liked a lot of the songs. Well, not, you know, I liked a few of the songs. You but, liked a few of the songs a lot. But I don't think any of the songs were really bad, you know? Yeah. I think it all just sort of faded into this mesh of oneness. You know, I don't, I think it suffers from too much from being, having so many similarities between each piece and, and so that a lot of the songs aren't, don't like when I go and listen to an album, I, I want, there's always that one song that strikes me and is, and stands yeah. out. And every now and then there's a few albums where like every song is different enough for me to be able to enjoy it and remember each one of them really well. And there, there are, I think only about 20 albums that, that I like that can do that. Um, and this only has like three songs that I really enjoyed, like really, really enjoyed the rest of it was, it was pleasant music. It was well done. It was played well by the people playing the instruments. Um, but I don't think that it is, I think it suffers from too much sameness throughout. Yeah, I totally understand that. That's just me. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's my that's my take on it. I give it a six. I think that's a very fair rating. Give it a six. And hopefully the Dan Arbeck album, his first album. Um, what's the name of that one, by the way? Um, I think it's, um, let's see. Keep It Hid. Keep It, it Hid. All right. Well, I hope to, uh, this time two weeks from now, give that a better score than I did this one. I hope I, think, I hope for that. Yeah, I think he might like it. It's more of his bread and butter. Um, awesome. Because it's a little bit of a departure. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, that's our music segment. Um, what do you say we move on to movies? Movies? Yeah, let's do that. Um, all right. So I guess we have, like, we have a couple things here. We have The Shining. We have Room 237. Mm-hmm. And then we have I Watched Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, let me go ahead and talk about Bohemian Rhapsody, Bohemian Rhapsody, please, and kind of get that out of the way so we can really dive into The Shining. I have some questions about Bohemian Rhapsody, so explain it first, and and uh, I'll ask you questions after your. Uh... Okay, sure. Um, okay, so Bohemian Rhapsody um, is basically just a biopic on uh, Freddie Mercury and his life, and sort of the beginning of uh, Queen and uh, how they sort of progressed and changed. Uh, through like the years of them being together and I thought that was um, I thought it was pretty um, it's pretty cut and dry they didn't really do anything surprising with it um, and I didn't really hate that part about it honestly the um, the fact that they were pretty like they, they, it, was, it was kind of formulaic you know it's it's just it's very much just like a regular biopic mm. um, and I think that that's not the worst part because where I think the movie really hits its stride is just the <coughs> Um, just the character of Freddie Mercury and his and his band and um, just what they did, I think that really carries um, the movie. Um, so, a couple things to note: I think the um, the choices of music were were solid. I think they hit most of the big stuff. I would have loved to have seen um, "Sheer Heart Attack," "Brighton Rock." Um, that's probably my favorite Queen song. Mm. That and then "Flick of the Wrist" were, were are some of my favorites. They didn't. I don't think they showcased those. Um, they're less well known. I think they they yeah. were they played it safe and stuck to the hits. 
Yeah, I think they played it. Yeah, I agree. They did play it safe with the the ones that they did. Um, what you did, know, obviously. What they play? Go ahead. Uh, they did a Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, another one bites the dust. Um, Killer Queen was like their earlier one. Mm-hmm. Um, they did. We will, we will rock you. They didn't really even touch on uh, We Are the Champions, which is kind of surprising to me because that's like one really? of the bigger ones. Yeah, interesting. Um, I love that song. Yeah, me too. I love it. Um, but yeah, so they, they mainly focus on those. They did uh, You Are My Best Friend. That was kind of in passing. Oh, that's a great um, song. Yeah, and then Love of My Life. I think that, yeah, I think that's the title of my life. Uh, uh, are you, yeah, I'm not, I don't know. What? Um, I think that's one that he did. I okay. might be wrong on that one. But, I don't um, know about I don't know that song so I, okay. Yeah, they've they've pretty pretty large amount of songs so it's hard to keep them all straight. Days of think, our was it? Uh, those were the days or days of our lives or something. I'm not sure. We'll Maybe just... I know of that song. That was one of the last ones he recorded. Actually, it was the last music video he ever did. Was uh, hang on, let me look up. Yeah. So um, so basically, it was um it was their main hits and I really liked one thing that i did like is they kind of framed like the plot and the progression of each single which is kind of interesting and in how they sort of evolved as a band from each one yeah um because you know i think a point that he makes is like um he's at the he's with the studio exec or whatever and he's like you know what makes queen different and he's like well basically uh we're for the misfits we're for the outcasts we're for the people who don't really belong and I think he really embodied that and how like diverse and um, how he really catered to people who were not necessarily interested in like mainstream rock at the time um, and kind of kind of, you know, was experimental and uh, really tried some things that people were too afraid to try. Um, like um, A Night at the Opera um, was one of the albums that they kind of centered on at the beginning of the movie. And uh, I guess how like that... Um, that was kind of their starting point, I guess. One mm. of their one of their bigger starting points. Yeah. Um. And and in their uh in their whole career here, um, and I really enjoyed. I, I actually had never heard that album, so I went back and listened to it. I was like, wow, there's some, some really good stuff on this. Um, I think uh, one was um, I think it's like I'm in love with my car, which is just such a like such a niche thing, obviously, um, such a niche song to have. Mm. Um, so I think that that really did embody the fact that they weren't just for mainstream; they were for everyone, uh, for people who would enjoy songs about, you know, you know, like operatic songs about being in love with your car. Um, <laughs> so they were very yeah. niche, and I, and I really appreciated I really appreciate Queen in that sort of way. Um, but I think uh, the movie as a whole was really good. It just kind of it was kind of a paint by numbers. But the fact that Freddie Mercury were was the numbers, I think, really carried it. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Rami Malek was uh, the person that played um, Freddie Mercury. I think he did an excellent job. He's great, um, man. Yeah, he's really good. I haven't done seen a lot of his movies, but I, he's been in a lot of things, and he's done a lot of transformative acting. And being well, like... his show Mr. Robot is like one of my all-time favorite shows, like ever. It's so, it's so good. It's like Breaking Bad quality. Seriously, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I would check that. it out seen a bit. if I were you, man. It's great. Yeah, I'll definitely give it a look. Um, Season one and two are uh, on Amazon. If you have Amazon Prime, you can. Uh, I do actually. You can stream it, so. man. It's a great. It's a fantastic show. It only has three seasons, though. That's fine with me, honestly. Yeah. Shows that have like eight seasons, seven seasons, I'm like a little bit too much. Of it's a chore. It. <laughs> it's a bit it's, of a it chore. It is a little bit. Yeah. So I appreciate the. Yeah. 
being uh, concise. Yeah. But um, he's he's such a good actor. I got really excited when I heard he was playing Freddie Mercury, and from the pictures that I've seen on the on like on set and from the trailers that I've seen, I haven't seen the movie. And from the trailers that I've seen, he looks just like him. Yeah, they I'd say nail in, it. Yeah, they really did. Uh, especially in the later years mm. where he had the signature aviators and mustache and mm. like the um, tank top that really, really looks like him when they I play at the live aid. Yes. Yeah. That is like, I, I see, well, you know, I pulled a picture and like, I really have a hard time finding differences here. Yeah. Um, I think the, the earlier, the earlier one, um, like earlier in the band, I think they, I think they looked a little bit different, um, but they really sealed the deal with the live aid. It looks just like him. Um, and his whole cadence and how he carried himself was really like very, very, very much Freddy. Um, so I really, I really appreciate his performance. I thought it was excellent. Um, I didn't really have anything to write, nothing to write home about really about anybody else's performance. Um, because, you know, any, most people were secondary to Freddy because of just his character and, uh, how they centered the movie around him. I think everybody else's performances were, um, were good. <clears throat> I think, um, it was shot really nicely. Nothing to write home about that also. Um, but I think it really, um, I, I didn't think they really needed to be bogged down by like mm. an art house film of Freddie Mercury. I mean, he is the centerpiece and that's really all you needed to, to really worry about. Yeah. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I gave it a four on Letterboxd. Uh, so four out of five. Okay. felt like it was very deserving of that. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, I enjoyed it. Did you have you had said you had questions? Yeah. Um. I wanted to ask if uh, what how much did it focus on the band members outside of Freddie Mercury? I know that it was him centered on the story, but how like important were their roles in the story? Yeah. So basically, um, his band members were pretty important because I think one of the main selling points of the band were like. Um, especially in the movie, they talked about a lot about how they were, they were a family. And I know that's kind of a cliche to be like, you know, we're a family. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, um, that, that there was nothing really special about that necessarily, but, uh, I think they did embody that. Um, because, you know, with, with Live Aid, him kind of coming out of his, uh, funk, I guess, um, coming back and kind of getting the band back together for that. Mm. Um, they really did kind of come back together as a family. And I think that, um, they did touch on the fact that um, other band members were uh, involved in the writing of the songs. Cause I think there was like one where he was, there's a scene where he was coming in late to a practice and um, like, they were all kind of like squabbling back and forth. And then one of the bandmates, I can't, for the life of me, I can't remember who just starts playing the main bass track to um, another one bites the dust. And then, um, you know, they just start, you know, Freddie Mercury's handed like a, um, like a lyric sheet or whatever. So they start, you know, playing it and then they just kind of like totally forget about the, uh, the, like the bickering they were having beforehand. And I think that's kind of like, um, that's kind of like a family, you know, yeah. you, you, you know, you fight and then, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, you're just, you're in it together. And, yeah, and you know, um, so I really appreciated that. I thought the bandmates were, did have a play, play an important role. I don't think they overshadowed them. Mm. It could be hard to, um, but yeah, I thought they were, they were excellent in it. They're pretty important, yeah. Yeah, awesome. All right, so another question I had: how um how far into Mercury's life did they get? Like, did they get to the 
like all the way up to his death or did they stop at like you know that live aid era where he plays live aid and like that's their bit their their you know their big moment that's their big famous show that people yeah. still play clips of yeah i mean they stopped they stopped at live aid oh um, okay and I, I think that was probably the right thing to do i honestly. don't know why i thought that that's what they would do but it seems right yeah i i, I felt very right i think the ending was because the thing about freddie it's like or sorry like freddie mercury um you don't want to remember like you know his death in the last years because mm. they didn't they weren't really freddie mercury you know they weren't he was representative always... of his exactly of his and i think and 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 putting that at the end of the movie and having drawn out to the point where you know they they uh shoot his death or whatever mm. it just wouldn't embody him and it wouldn't present um what queen and freddie mercury really were and i think that that was just the right place to end was the live aid uh, concert yeah. um and that's another thing that i kind of like thinking about it it's like you know he kind of because he died he died um before he ever got old really so it was like kind of one of the things where he was uh like 41 or something like that yeah so Um, i think it was yeah he was around his really early 40s um but it's kind of like wow you never saw him 45 yeah 45 yeah so it's kind of it's interesting to me because it's you really had the prime years of freddie mercury and then anything after you know you wouldn't see him in his 60s because he's dead so you wouldn't remember him you only have like the sort of yeah the really good golden years he's in of, his prime yeah he died in his prime basically yeah and um it's a sad it's a sad thing you know that we lost a legend like that but the fact is that you know we remember him as that mm. and, and nothing else yeah um so i, I in a way i'm kind of like I guess, you know, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a good thing to come out of a sad thing, I guess. Mm. People have been making a lot of comparisons on his early death uh, to Prince. And Prince died in his 50s, but he was still playing. You know, he was still playing. He was still doing shows. He was still recording music. Um. So, like, but, but people have made comparisons to how, like, they peaked and then died like very shortly after and you know it's just sort of a tragic thing but i think that um the thing is that makes their legacy all the more memorable you know especially freddie mercury i mean he's just like they they did so many good iconic songs um i mean don't stop me now a crazy little thing called love flash um, somebody to love bicycle you know, yeah, that's a goofy song, but uh, I love it though. Fat, uh, fat, were they Fat Bottom Girls? Yeah, yeah, Fat Bottom yeah, Girls. Fat yeah. Bottom Girls. Um, what's that other one that I love? Oh, Radio Gaga. I love that song. I love that song. It's so good. Have you heard that one? I don't think I've heard that one. Wow, as much. dude, it's great. You would like it a lot. It's really good. It's goofy, but it's great. It's yep. really good. It's about um. I don't really know for sure what it's about, but it, it, they're talking about like the state of music, I think, based on what I interpret the lyrics to be. I think it's uh, a, a statement on the state of music when they uh, perform, wrote and performed that song. But anyway, um, how much did they touch on his bisexuality and his relationships with both men and women? Because I know that there was that female character who he was like, on again off again in love with and then he was also like into dudes so like 
So What's going they did on something. There? They, I think, you know, the movie being PG-13, I think that was probably a good choice. Um, so I they didn't really get uh, super graphic with it, obviously. Well, yeah. Um, so, but, but I think they were pretty tasteful about it. Mm. They showed that it was obviously, like, uh, an important thing with mm. him where that was uh, – you know, big part of his identity. Well, they, I, I don't think that it was a part of his identity. I think the media made it a part yeah. of his identity because that's exactly. what they wanted to focus on so much. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and they even have a scene where, yeah, so it's not really, it's not as though he's, you know, portraying this sort of thing. It was like, you know, that he's, you know, bisexual, but they did touch on it um, in a tasteful way, I thought. And yeah. then, you know, in one portion they're having, um, you know, like a press conference where they're just trying to jab him about it, be like, talk to us about your sexuality. You know, do you like guys? Like, what's the deal? What are the rumors? And he's basically like, um, you know, like, you know, what about you? You know, like, and basically kind of mouthing off to the reporters and being yeah. very kind of closed off about it. Mm. And um, yeah, so I mean, I think that uh, it was obviously part of his life in his private life. Um, they did touch on it where, you know, initially, uh, I forgive me, I can't remember the name of the, the woman, but um, basically, you know, he falls in love with this girl and then, uh, you know, he realizes that he's bisexual and then he sort of gets involved with this, with this bad sort of character. I can't remember his name, but, you know, obviously based on real life, I can't remember this name though. Um, but, you know, and it, and it kind of breaks the band up, really. It, it really um, causes him to be secluded in a way mm. and kind of puts him in this whole world where... Um, he's really not a part of um Interesting. i think that's yeah that, i think that's kind of um sort of pressured on by his uh partner at the time um and then later on in the movie you know he does he he loves um his his first girlfriend his first wife mm. um and oh they were married does, yeah they were actually married oh. um at least in the movie i'm i'm yeah. gonna assume that a biopic is gonna be accurate in that um, Interesting. but yeah so they, they you know they got married um they got a divorce you know, he's with this these guys, um, this main one guy, and then it mm -hmm. kind of breaks the band up, makes him makes him fire one of his. Um, I think it was his manager, could be his man. Yeah, I think it was his manager that, um, you know, it drove Freddie to fire him basically, yeah. um, which is pretty disappointing. Mm. And uh, you know, it, it kind of made him a shell and and really took what was Freddie uh, really out of him and uh, really kind of gave way to um, you know just drugs and um just this this kind of life that didn't really embody him yeah and then uh you know he through that he was still always in contact with his first wife um it seemed like he he still cared a lot about her yeah um and was always you know excited seeing her um and even disappointed when she would have boyfriends and like seemed yeah. like that would really really affect him yeah um so i I, I mean it so does it kind of allude to the fact that you know she was always the one that he loved most yeah and i think he's he said that in um in uh interviews like he like you know she's always been the love of my life yeah um and, and i think that's really sweet i think it's it's kind of like bittersweet because yeah you know, he never really had like a um uh, a real a real go with her you know yeah and, and that's that's disappointing um, why, i think he ends up why did they get divorced um the, was it just that he was was he cheating on her or I think they they allude to like a possibility of cheating but I don't think they really um they, they don't really show the fact that like he cheated on her I think that he was yeah. more like 
hey i'm like i'm bisexual like i don't i gotta figure this out and i think yeah. she's just like okay <laughs> and even in the movie she's like freddie you're gay like i i've known this for a long time um which was it was kind of humorous but you know, well I'm, I'm not sure that that like the media said he was he was gay he like he was re- i think he was really you know in love with this woman i i don't know that he was just straight up you know, homosexual. I think that he was more bisexual because I mean, like, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not just, quite sure. I, just yeah. watching documentaries, I've seen like, you know, he 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 talks about wanting to have kids with a woman. You know, one day, you know, finding the right girl and settling down and you know, having an actual yeah. family with a woman. But he also talks about how like he he. Uh, you know, falls in love with other men in in or or has relationships rather with men in that same vein. So it's not like, you know, I I think, you know, I think that me, the media tried to portray him as a homosexual to sort of like uh, to, ha- to have some sort of like something they could paint him as, like to to create gossip where there wasn't any. Where in rea- whereas in reality he just didn't re- he was just bisexual you know he cared he loved both men and women you know yeah I think that's probably the the more accurate story is really mm-hmm. just he was a bisexual and uh, you know the media obviously trying to make more out of uh, something than it really was yeah yeah um, but yeah overall I really enjoyed it um, I think gosh he's such a he's such a crazy um amazing icon mm, absolutely. in rock history yeah and um i've always I've, I've whenever i first started listening to queen i was like this is this is amazing this yeah. is some really good stuff they, oh um, man i've been listening to them since i was really little man like um my dad i grew up on classic rock you know and uh queen was always in the playlists always so yeah i mean it's it's solid stuff um i unfortunately grew up with um, like Depeche Mode and Talking Heads, so not <laughs> not much there really. For, I mean, I'm, I'm getting into it. Like Talking Heads is, yeah. is great; they're so good. But um, I don't. I'm not you, familiar with their music at all. I haven't listened to any of it. They're like a they're like a sort of a punk um, indie rock fusion sort of thing. They're I'd really good. Like it. You would probably like them. Yeah, um, they I'd did. Um, like uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Psycho Killer, Keskase. That song's really good. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'll have to send it to you. But, um, but yeah, so I, you know, I'm getting really into them. Uh, I've I've listened to them for probably about a year now, and nice. they're they're excellent. I love them. Cool, man. Um, but yeah, so um, all right, so that's that kind of wraps up uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. That Do you want to is... get into uh, some movies, some oh, other movies here? Man, so much, so much to talk about. Here. Man, I don't know if we um, should take on uh, Room Two Three Seven Two Three Seven Slash. The Shining, or if we should talk about something else we've seen. What else? Um, have, what else have we seen? What have we watched? I think I think it was really I think I really just watched two three seven and The Shining. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And things. Okay. Well, let's get into it then, because it's a big old pile of stuff we got to talk about here. So, when we watched The Shining together, um, it was me you. Amanda, your girlfriend, and uh, mm-hmm. Jacob, our mutual friend, mm-hmm. and um, that was my first time seeing that movie in in like an able like in a in a in a sense where I, where I'm really able to pay attention and enjoy it. Um, Sober minded. Yeah, I mean, I saw like a heavily edited version of it as a kid. 
I think yep. it might have even been like a TV version of the movie or something. When when I was yeah. little, my dad was like, "Hey, watch this scary movie with me," and and that was really evident. <laughs> and, and when he's in the bathroom and uh, the Nate, the full Nate nude woman is in there, and I'm like, "Oh, I don't remember this scene when I watched it as a kid." <laughs> um, so my it's dad, my dad was probably clever in cutting that out of the movie but um this was my first real time seeing it and getting to take it in to at its fullest and my goodness was it it's something incredible yeah. first of all without without unpacking any of the rest of it it is an incredible movie incredible horror movie it builds suspense from the second it begins that that low those low musical humming and drumming noises when you've got yeah. the helicopter shot with them flying oh over the with the uh, the island and then the car dude from it, the from the beginning of the film it builds up that tension yeah it really starts early and it um it's incredible the mm. the, the helicopter shots were just um just amazing um yeah in conjunction with the the music the score oh yeah that was really good do you know who composed um, it I'm actually not familiar with the composer. Um, yeah, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure who who actually did the did the musical work. Um, I do have it pulled up, so I might be able to uh, find who did it. Let's see here. Yeah. Uh, oh, excuse me. Um, music composed by Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind. I've never heard of either of them. But that's interesting. It was yeah. really good. I yeah, loved the I music. It was excellent. I mean, it's iconic. Uh, mm. The 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 scene where he's breaking through the door, which I have some. I, there's Dude. like a mountain of trivia on this, and this one is actually kind of interesting. So they built a lot of prop doors for him to cut down, mm -hmm. but he actually was a volunteer fire department uh, uh, worker. So he, really, he was actually really good at cutting down prop doors so they had to build like a real like sound door from to actually like rip to pieces with the um with the axe interesting, kind of interesting. yeah yeah i didn't know that uh, about him it's yeah, uh, i mean the running time of the film is two hours and 40 minutes and it feels shorter it feels way shorter it does that. not feel like it drags on one bit no. like your eyes are glued to the screen for the whole thing and yes, I know probably some of the audience is going nuts that I've never seen The Shining before. Um, I've even got friends who I told them I went. I met up with some of my friends from uh, film school today, and uh, we were talking about a new project that we're going to be doing. And we, uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah. So you know, I re I saw The Shining for the first real time recently, and they're like, what? You've never seen The Shining? And I'm like, oh, you know, I've seen it, but I didn't know. I wasn't really able to follow it. it. You know, I was a kid. You know, my attention span was like that. You know, I didn't, you know, I wasn't able to really follow it. But my God, man, this movie gripped me through the whole thing. And I can't tell what Stanley Kubrick did intentionally and unintentionally. And I love it. Yeah, I think that's a big point of contention mm. is what he's done intentionally. What are, what are the fans sort of 
surmised that that he never really intended and what you know he was like super per- you know i think this movie is very very intentional and very purposeful oh yeah um and there's a lot of there's a lot of very intentional things that he did mm. that don't really give an immediate explanation that i think room 237 touched on super heavy with um with with a lot of the things that you know had to have been intentional like there's no way they could have accidentally accidentally done this well one Um, thing i think one of the most uh, obvious things is shelly duvall she i think that personally and this is just based on what i've read about kubrick and what i what i looked up on wikipedia and um i know not a good not a good source (laughs) but um her shelly duvall is an annoying actress she is just not fun to look at she's not very attractive um uh, i know that's offensive but i don't uh, like she's not a very attractive looking person um she's clearly not the best actress and i think that kubrick chose her very purposefully in order to to make people watching the movie unsettled but when it reaches the stressful moments and the moments where she's supposed oh to be afraid and terrified, she p- pulls like excellent acting out of nowhere. Because when really? she's just being normal and regular, it's it's not immersive. It's goofy, even. It, it, it's 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 very plasticky and yeah. very obvious and mm. like you know the the way she talks and it's almost as though she talks in a way that's really. Um, it's really innocent. submissive. It's really Sub- submissive and really innocent. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, I think I agree. I think Stanley Kubrick chose her intentionally. And mm. I think she really conveyed that sort of um, that sort of acting. Yeah. And, and, sort of and, and when Jack starts to kill her or well, just starts to kill her, when he starts to attack her and Danny, she pulls like this insanely good acting out of nowhere. And I wasn't expecting that. I was like, oh my, like, whoa, this is such a, like, a stark contrast to her from, um, from the beginning of the movie, where she's so, like, innocent and reserved, but in that whole conversation where she finds out, like, that Jack is losing it, she goes from innocent and curious to, like, straight terrified, man, and she acts the hell out of that terrified portion, man, I mean, it's so good, it's so good, she's incredible, um, yeah, I thought I thought she was one of the best parts of the movie, uh, right up there with Jack Nicholson. He, the but the both of them and the way they interact with one another at the climax make this movie. Um, Nicholson is so outstandingly good in this film. Um, he's probably one of my new favorite actors, honestly, just after seeing this movie. Yeah, I mean, he really um, he gives some superb acting mm. um, in, in in this. Uh, I think, gosh, he really um, he does the uh, the transition from regular Jack Torrance to uber psycho Jack Torrance mm. so well. I think he like you can see it in um, in the scene where Wendy and Danny are going through the maze, and he gives this look, and it's just so like. It's it's really um, such a unique look. It's really unique mm. to Stanley Kubrick, um, uh, because he's done that. He's done that same sort of look in um, in Full Metal Jacket when Private Pile is in the um, uh, the 
the the bathroom and he and he shoots the 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 general and himself yeah um he gives the exact same look i think i haven't seen clockwork orange but i've seen bits and pieces Mm -hmm. and uh you know the the main character in that one gives the same look as he's driving yeah and it's such a like a just such an evil um, crazy exactly such an unsettling look Mm -hmm. um that this display perfectly in this character by you know his transition from you know normal to just insanity um and i think that was done yeah. really well I, I i don't i don't think um anybody could have pulled it off like jack nicholson really did no this one. no not no one i can't think of a single actor i mean it is it is just incredible um yeah, so it, it was really well done so we in conjunction with our viewing of the shining we watched room 237 which is a documentary about the conspiracy theories surrounding the shining and always it a lot yeah i mean some some really good and my favorite thing about the documentary is that it doesn't it it does not discriminate um good theories (laughs) yeah it really does it does shine a light on on these people and just the crackpot theories that they come up with and i I love each and every one (laughs) yeah uh, because they're they're delivered with such passion each 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 interview is like they're so um they are so into um just the fine the fine details of kubrick's uh filmmaking Mm. and they're so passionate about it and even the most wild theories uh are really gripping because they're like you know they, they have such a um uh, they have so much zeal about what they're talking about. Yeah, that yeah. it really, it really like grabs you. Like um, you can tell they know they're right. Yeah, um, even though some of them are definitely wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, uh, the, gosh, there's just some crazy ones. Like for instance, there's this one scene where um, I think one of the interview uh, interviewees uh, is talking about how they're bringing furniture in and how yeah, like, yeah. the shots oh. are lined up. Oh, yeah, and... I noticed that one, too. That's one that I got really uh, really passionate about. I was like, you know what? No, dude, they're just... They're, they're just bringing in furniture. They're just, like, they're just walking. And, like, yeah, it, his exit of the screen times perfectly with this character's exit. Yeah, that's called direction. Yeah, it's just, it's just pacing of the shot. It's just yeah, pacing. Like, it, yeah. It's nothing special. Like, it's not... There's no, like horrible human tragedy hidden in there in that scene of the dude moving the carpet like <laughs> i mean come on it, there's, um, there's there's really nothing there um i loved how how passionate he was about it and how excited he was <laughs> yeah about, it, about the carpet he got me um, excited about the carpet i was, I was like oh, there, there, must, there might be something about to this carpet maybe this guy's right and then i no, thought about it and i was like that's ridiculous <laughs> no he's just smoked a couple couple too many uh doobies yeah a couple uh, too many really... joints man exactly um but yeah so did you want to get into some of the um some of the uh the theories in 237 sure we can i don't remember very many of them mostly because i I I mentally was checked out after watching that documentary yeah Um, i I did write down some interesting ones um okay that i I love to get into so uh the documentary touched a lot on the apollo moon landing that's right um, i remember that which which is kind of a big deal and it's and it's hard to deny that it's um that it's not in any way involved with the shining because i mean you see it with the um with the apollo shirt um yeah and it's like and it's obviously not a shirt picked up at like macy's or something like i think that was custom made for this movie and i don't know why they would 
why they would custom make a shirt that has the Apollo 11. I don't and know. There's one specific scene that is really telling of this where <clears throat> it's famous. It's one of the famous scenes where Danny's playing with his trucks on the octagonal carpet. Um, looks exactly like the launch pad. Exactly. That's just what I was going to talk about. They look exactly like the launch pads, um, which I think is, excuse me. It, it you're, um, I think it, it could be intentional. It may not be intentional, um, but it's something. It's something yeah. there that really does have a bear really, uh, really good resemblance to the launch pads. Um, and the fact that, you know, he stands up from that shop shot almost as though he's shooting off from the launch pads. Um, and then that scene is directly followed with him going into room 237. Um and another thing about it is is the fact that when the ball rolls down, um, another thing is that they that took like thirty shots or whatever to get the ball rolling perfect, which is you know that's just Kubrick's uh, crazy like reshooting mentality. Well, I mean, if it human error, like if you can't get the ball to line up perfectly, I mean, I mean that's I would say that for any other director, but with Kubrick, it's like he I mean he's he did like. I think there was some like like sixty takes of like him knocking the uh, door down and stuff like that. Like it was really? just it's just ridiculous. Jeez. And I think the 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 scene with the elevator. I think that took six. I think that took six takes. They used a and miniature that, for that, right? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure they used a full set for the uh, for, for the, the, uh, the blood. For the blood, yeah. Really? Because it took them it took them weeks to reset up each shot. Oh my. So I'm pretty sure they used a. But um, they only used like the same shot for the whole movie. Yeah, they used the same shot, but it was they had to do it like six times, I think. Mm. Interesting. Which is yeah, insane. I, I definitely think there's something to the Apollo Eleven stuff. I think. I don't know what I believe, dude. I wasn't around. You know, I'm too young to remember that era, and to be honest, I don't care all that much. But I know for a fact the government keeps a lot of secrets from us um, i don't see why the moon landing couldn't be one of them <laughs> yeah i mean it's certainly plausible i just think that the guy who was explaining it got a little i don't know maybe he was a little like he did he was like i have proof but he doesn't present any of the proof in yeah. the documentary and you're like okay what's this proof and he's like uh it happened it happened uh, you my, know. my word um, yeah, I, I think that there's, I think that definitely comes into play. The whole idea of a suggestion of what happened without anything to really back it up. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it's not like you can go to Kubrick and ask him, right? The poor guy's dead, you know? Yeah. Uh, he passed, uh, before he could tell us all his secrets. So. He did, he did do an interview, which I'm going to bring up, which is kind of interesting, um, about the shining. Um, but, but to finish up the, uh, the octagonal carpet scene, I think it was interesting. The carpet actually flips. Yep, I noticed that. Up, the colors, is, the colors, uh, uh, swap places. Yeah, so it it gives this effect where the carpet is basically doing like a a one eighty around on Danny. Um, yeah, that's right. And looking at the shot, I don't know how they were able to do it mm-hmm. because everything everything is laid out the same. The the layout of the um. The hallway is the same so i don't know how they were able to flip the carpet like that but they probably they exactly the way you would think the hard way like cooper uh, demands everything way. to be done 
Exactly. So it, it very well could have been that way. It just seems, but the, but that really gives credence to the fact that it had to be intentional. Mm. Why would he go through the trouble of doing something so annoying to try and like correct without it being for some reason? And I think it was, I, I think it was part and due to when the ball rolls, it goes into the center octagonal mm. piece. And then as he stands up, it switches and then it's basically sealed in. Mm. And I think what that ball has to is, is somewhat representing is the fact that, you know, like he's kind of by going into room two, three, seven, that that ball was kind of sealing the deal as in like, it was kind of like outside of him. What was, what was really going on in room two thirty seven was really concerned, yep. but then he, you know, the ball rolls in and he's like, okay, I'm going to check this out. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that's really, um, I think that's really intentional. And I think the, uh, the, the moon landing, sorry, not the moon landing, the launch pad and the rocket ship. I think that's, I think, you know, if Kubrick isn't trolling his viewers, He's saying something about it. I, I think there has to be something there. Maybe, um, maybe he was simply saying that he thought there it was fake, not necessarily be. that he was connected with it. Yeah, and I think there's there's other things in the movie that kind of um, suggest that he was involved. Oh, but there's nothing that really it, it could it really it really could be anything. I think that um, he's a master of like just having all these sort of loose ends and not telling you which ones matter and which ones don't and kind of leaving it up for you to decide and decipher all these different things. I love that about his movies. Um, But yeah, I think that part was interesting. Uh, Mm -hmm. Another thing is in an interview, he says that, um, so the photo, and I've always tried to rack my brain and figure out what the meaning of the photo at the end of the movie movie was. The the 1921 uh, 4th of July party? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one. And he speaks on that and he actually says that it was jack being reincarnated so that's kind of interesting because reincarnated into the past no so basically the photo was not necessarily a real thing but it was meant to suggest that there's always going to be a quote-unquote jack torrance in this hotel there's always going to be a man who murders his family there's a caretaker yeah a caretaker exactly a caretaker that ends up murdering his family yeah and and that was meant to suggest that he was like like uh, Jack coming back to the hotel. Like Jack doesn't realize it. Mm. You know the actual the, you know Jack Torrance doesn't really realize it. But when he gets there, he's basically transformed into the quote unquote Jack Torrance that will always be with the hotel, which is the caretaker. Um, and and that's kind of his reincarnation, um, coming back to the hotel and taking part in the uh, the murder of his family, like every other caretaker would the previous one being uh grady um yeah i think the conversation he has with grady that is such an interesting scene to so me. good like the act i don't know who that but like the guy playing great i don't know who the actor was for that it's phillips it's philip stone and there's a lot of actors in this movie that like like two for instance um uh philip stone actually has done a lot he's he was uh, Indiana Jones, uh, Temple of Doom, uh, Clockwork Orange, and The Shining. So he's been in some other things. Mm. Um, but like, for instance, the witch, like the I call it the succubus because that's what I think it is. I think it's a, uh, it's a, it's like a sexually charged mm-hmm. demon that yeah. kind of possesses room two thirty seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of indicative by the carpet. Mm-hmm. It's kind of suggestive. But um, the the female actresses for the old witch and then the younger witch or succubus, whatever, mm-hmm. they never acted 
in a movie before or after The Shining. Interesting. So that was it. That was it for them, which is kind of interesting, but it yeah. doesn't really go anywhere. Well, Cooper got that. people who he knew looked like what he wanted. Yeah. You know, this guy who played Grady, I've already forgotten his name. You just told me. Philip, Philip Stone. Yeah. I, like, I, like, he probably hasn't been in many other big name movies other than the ones you named and The Shining. Yeah, I think he, I think he's more of a, uh, maybe a friend of Kubrick. I think he's done some other smaller, he's done a lot of TV stuff. Mm. So not really, yeah. um, so he, Co- stuff. Kubrick doesn't always pick big name. He picks who fits the rule. And that's yeah. very evident in Wendy's character. I mean, Shelley Duvall, like, she's not your bombshell babe, you know? No, of course not. <laughs> but she is a good actress, and she does what he needs her to do, and she looks like how he needs her to look like. And that's what I love about Kubrick. You know, yeah, he, um... he, he makes... Oops, that's my phone going off here. Sorry about that. Um, he makes a... Uh, he makes choices that are necessary to the narrative and doesn't just hire big name for the sake of hiring big name. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think Grady, I think that bathroom scene with Grady, there's so much more to, to break down about that scene than how it appears. I want to rewatch the movie just for that scene. Yeah. That, that scene was amazing. Mm. Um, and I do have some thoughts on, I think that scene this, there's this interesting thing because in the movie you're not sure what is actually real and mm-hmm. what is like subconscious like this hotel messing with your mind yeah sort of sort of another level of real yeah um, you're not sure what's haunting and what's an illus- illusion exactly in Jack's my, head yeah and, and my theory is that Grady is physically real like and I'm, as like, in a ghost or an actual person Maybe one or the other. I, it's not solid. I came up with it today, but okay. Because here's the thing: a lot of it is a lot of it is like um, supernatural. Like a lot of it's not really happening. It's a trick of the mind. Yeah. Like it's it's just kind of like you can't really you can't really ground it in reality. And I think mm. his his character is grounded in reality by the fact that he unlocks Jack's door. Yeah. And, that and, is and the only thing that's left unsolved in the movie. Um, yeah, that, that it's kind of a big deal, right there. How does Jack get out? I I think he's a real person. I really do think that he is, um, an, a real person that unlocks his door, um, because. Well, I mean, I'm not sure. He's <sighs> he could be some sort of apparition. I think it's been hinted at that Danny unlocks the door at some point. Oh, I don't know that his no. location. Because he's in his bed. Well, I mean, I think that, like, Danny, like, mentally, like, unlocks the door, you know? Like, he, he uses his uh, his shining to do it. To unlock whatever. the door. I've heard that before. I've heard that, um, I've heard that a possessed Wendy unlocked the door because she started, this was right around the time that she finally started seeing ghosts around the, cl- like, during the climax and after the climax, it was only until, only up until that point, she hadn't been seeing anything. 
Then when Jack yeah. is trying to kill her and Danny, mm-hmm. she finally see you know, she sees the party. She sees the the dead skeletons all over the uh, room. She sees the uh, the gay sex scene in the room uh, with the bear. Um, the bear pig or whatever. Yeah, the bear pig or what? I don't know what. I think the it's costume a. Was. Yeah, I think it's a warthog. I think, yeah, honestly. that. Um, well, she sees that, um, and she finally she looks down the hallway and she sees the thing that Danny's been seeing the whole time, the bloody yeah. elevator. And she sees exactly. it. And I think that that is connected in a way to, um, to finding out, like, what's real and what's just in your head. Because I think that the um, Jack going to the bar was in his head. Yeah, I think that I think that was in his head. And I think that the scene when he walks around with his drink and bumps into Grady at the party. He's mm-hmm. in his head, but he transfers from being in his head into Grady as a ghost and he's haunting him. And the yeah. reason that Grady is real is because if it were in Jack's head, he could not have learned that Danny is trying to bring an outside force. Exactly. Into you cannot learn new information that you don't know from something that's just in your head. This has been explored in numerous medias and it's accepted as fact. People who think that something is real, but it's just in their head, never learn any new information. Never. It's impossible. It's impossible because it's in their head and they're only basing it off of what they're familiar with. Now, maybe they could create information based on the personality of the person they're imagining, but that's only if they know that person well enough to guess at what they would most likely say in a situation. Now, yeah. with with in regards to Grady, Jack doesn't know a, th- a thing about Grady except for the fact that he butchered his daughters. Yeah. Um, and so he even brings that up to him. He's like, you're the guy who butchered your daughters. Maybe Jack thinks that this is all in his head. Maybe Jack's even conscious of it. But the moment that Grady tells Jack that... Danny is attempting to contact an outside force is the moment where you're like, he's not in Jack's head. He is actually appearing to Jack. He's actually talking to him because he presents new information to Jack that Jack could not have possibly known at all. Yeah, there's no way that he could have known about Danny. And, And I think that kind of goes to my theory with him unlocking the door because what is the purpose of bringing an outside force with Danny? It's to alleviate sort of the, the tension building mm. and having somebody who's like, you know, like I'm going to like figure this out. And cause it's just him and his mom. Yeah. And I think that, I, I think the idea of uh, Danny unlocking the door, I, I just, I can't buy into that because Grady is the one talking to him mm. and Grady is alluded to being the one opening the door. Mm. Now, I don't think Danny could have possibly done that. Because Danny yeah. was trying to bring an outside force that Grady talked to um, talked to uh, Jack about and warned him about. So I, I think yeah. those two things can't can't allow themselves to, to exist in the same place. You know, Danny couldn't have unlocked the door if he's trying to like get another person in. Mm. That Grady's letting him in on. I think um, that I think that uh, Grady unlocking the door for Jack was Jack's final chance to inherit this mantle as the caretaker. Yeah. Um, 
because Grady is passing on himself being the caretaker to Jack. Mm -hmm. Because Cooper himself says there's always been and there always will be a Jack Torrance at that hotel. Yeah. And what he means by that is that there will always be someone who murders somebody, someone who kills somebody, someone who keeps the cycle going. And I think that Grady is an amalgamation of all the ones who came before him and himself. And him unlocking the door for Jack is finally saying, you are now the caretaker. Now you are the amalgamation of everyone before you. Go and do your duty. Yeah. And ultimately, Jack fails. Exactly. Ending ending the cycle. That... Unless, unless, you know... That is an interesting thought, that the cycle would be ended by, by Jack. Well, there's no one... Oh, well, maybe it wouldn't be. Because Jack dies in the maze. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that Grady... Does Grady... No, you know do, what? Do they say that Grady kills himself? I think Grady kills himself, but here's the thing. I think that Jack doesn't stop the cycle. Because when you zoom in on the photo, mm-hmm. it shows Jack is always being there at the hotel. So I yeah. think he did take over the mantle. I think he did. Interesting. But he didn't uh, kill them, so he didn't pass. Grady said that he needed to kill them to achieve his goal then i really can't i can't wrap my round my brain uh my mind around what i think i don't think that jack succeeded but i think that him being in that picture is representative of the fact that there has always been a caretaker there has always been this amalgamation of spirits inheriting one person and jack is a representation of that at the current time that the movie takes place yeah I think that's probably right, right, right there. Um, um, and that's the other thing. That's the most likely intention for that Kubrick had for the film. Probably, I think that's probably right, right on there. Mm. Um, I think the other thing that was interesting. Oh, dang, what was you it? Broke um, out, you, uh, you broke up there for a second. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think the the interesting thing about that was um, was uh, oh. For life, me, I can't remember what I was gonna say, but yeah. Anyway, I think you know Grady. Grady's character was really interesting in how he was kind of the duality of the spirit sort of side of him, mm-hmm. and then the actual physical, physical side of um because you know he does get all that food that that nut food, but the, the drink on his coat. Yeah, but Jack could easily have been imagining that. I think that Jack's imagination of the party mm-hmm. is what gives Grady an entrance so this is kind of hard to explain but try and follow me here jack is imagining this whole scenario of the party in his head Mm -hmm. grady doesn't really have a way to introduce himself to jack like Mm -hmm. hey i'm a ghost and you need to do this to be the next guy yeah um the next caretaker or whatever so jack imagining hallucinating all this stuff in his head is a gateway for Grady to slip in there as a as a innocent mm. butler yeah, and spill right. his drink all over Jack. And he's like, oh, let me get alone with you to help you clean this up. Let me mm. get alone with you and take you away from this hallucination. And finally, Jack stops having the hallucinations because he doesn't hallucinate for the rest of the film. Yeah, I think that's it. He doesn't have any hallucinations for the rest of the film. For the rest of the film, he is focused 
dead focused on what he needs to do. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting. And, and the other thing that I was going to say beforehand was, I think the idea of him taking on the mantle in his sort of hallucinogenic state mm-hmm. is him telling, um, what was the, uh, Lloyd, him talking to Lloyd, and which was the bartender, yeah. him saying, you always were the best of them, Lloyd. He doesn't know Lloyd. He's Jack Torrance. He comes comes from, you know, he, he he's never been there. I think that, um, yeah, that's an so interesting I, thing I might have missed. I don't know. Well, because I think it goes to the idea that, you know, he's kind of, in one way, maybe being uh, possessed by the previous caretaker. Because why would he say you were always were the best of them, Lloyd? Because he's never met Lloyd. I think that uh, the whole character, the whole idea of Lloyd is Jack um, subconsciously making a statement about um, about uh, the... Because Kubrick hides history throughout this movie, and I yeah. think that the whole thing with Jack and Lloyd is a uh, um, is a statement on um, oppressive, I guess oppressive. Well, they talk about the, this in two thirty seven. They yeah. say that um, Lloyd, you know, white man's burden, Lloyd, white man's burden. That Jack's making yeah. some sort of statement, or Lord is Lloyd. It rather is like some sort of amalgamation of like, uh, you know, hit, hit racism throughout history and or something like that, and it's yeah. representative of um, him excusing the fact on white man's struggle, and even though that white people are historically oppressive to races that aren't white, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, speaking historically i would agree yeah i think that um it's been predominantly white people who have kind of been the oppressors for the last few thousand years yeah and i mean i i don't really know where exactly he's trying to go with that yeah um i I, it kind of falls uh, well he touches i'm not sure he touches a lot on the holocaust but he also touches on white people's oppression of native americans which is definitely huge throughout this film Huge. Yeah, and I mean, Native American imagery is everywhere, everywhere it, throughout the entire film. And they even mentioned that the place is built on a Native American yeah. burial ground, and that they had, they had to, to fight fin- off. Yeah, they had to fight off yeah. Native Americans who were coming. Um, and so that right there is sketchy, in itself. Yeah. Um, and Stanley Kubrick clearly had a heart for the Native American peril in in the United States, and I, um. My great grandmother, uh, she used to tell me stories um, about how she, her grandmother, she would, as a little girl, she would go to her grandmother's house, who was um, full blood Cherokee, and um, you know, so I've got some, some uh, like a very small part of Cherokee blood in me, um, you know, but but so I I think, you know, even if you don't have Native American, you know ancestry you can still pretty clearly understand that america committed some terrible atrocities on the native americans i mean even today like they're still putting the pipeline through their land you know and yeah i mean uh, i think there's there's definitely some truth to that i'm not really up on the uh, native american oppression in yeah. today's world yeah. but i mean i i can see that there's definitely there's there's certainly something there you know the trail of tears um so I, I mean, yeah, I, I, can, I mean, I can see where so he's pulling much. from. There's so much oppression 
of Native American peoples. And I think that Kubrick was really honed in on that at the time of making this movie. And he leaves that imagery everywhere, everywhere, all over the film. Yeah, it's it's really, uh, it's it's in a lot of shots, like especially just just any shot in the in the um, main hall. Mm. It's just it's everywhere. Yeah. Like, um, well, it's like ironic nice... too. They built the the freaking building on a Native American burial ground, but they hung up all these Native American decorations all over the whole freaking place, man. That's ironic. Yeah. Like, what? I mean, come on. He had to be stating something there with the irony. Yeah, I think he's. I mean, what? I mean, just on the surface, all I can see is really the idea of um, what's the word? It's like appropriation. Like they're mm. they're taking the land, yeah. they're building on this land, and then yeah. like look at it, it's Native American. I mean, there's something yeah. that he's saying yeah. there that I don't really. That's the thing about Kubrick. I'm not sure what he's really saying there, but yeah, I know yeah. there's something there. We can never fully understand what yeah. his mind and his intention for the film, but we can understand good chunks of it, I think. And um, I think that Room 237 as a documentary really helps unpack a lot of uh, a lot yeah. of mystery. Can we talk a little bit about some of the more ridiculous... One of the more... <laughs> Uh, ridiculous theories that I found. This wo- that woman when she talks about the minotaur, the minotaur, yeah, on I the know. poster. What? I, She's I, like I, that is clearly a minotaur, and I'm like, no, it isn't. That's is not clearly a minotaur. It's very abstractly a minotaur, and I don't see. I never even like. I had to look at that image for like. 10 freaking minutes before even seeing any sort of resemblance of a minotaur and she's like it is clearly a minotaur yeah it, it doesn't really look that much like a minotaur no, honestly it looks like a dude skiing it looks like a dude who's got really really tiny legs who's skiing yeah i noticed say, that i'll have to say this they do make it a point to bring skiing up in the interview and what they yeah, um, so and it, well hold on that... i think that there there might be something to it but I don't know that she's on the right track because no. they make a point to say, you know, oh, we don't we don't have anything to do with skiing. It's bad up here. You know, there's just uh, there's too dangerous. You know, yeah, it's too dangerous. So we don't you know, we've never really done that. Um, but they make a point to have a poster in the rec room of skiing. It's like it, I sure I guess you could have one in there and it could just mean nothing. But I think Kubrick is really intentional and it's hard to separate you know what's intentional, what's mm-hmm. unintentional. And I think it could be an inten- I think it could be an intentional thing. Yeah. I don't I don't know what it's getting at. I think she's probably wrong about it. No, cuz um <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a that is, theory. That's clearly a minotaur. I saw yeah. that that was clearly a minotaur. Uh I don't know. Might yeah. might just be a skier, lady. It could it could very well just be a skier. I think that's that's a possibility. Yeah. And then she tries to relate it to the the horse picture on the other side of the wall, and I'm like, horse what? is not. Yeah, it's she's just a rodeo talking. dude. It's just a rodeo dude that, that has yeah. nothing to yeah. do with it. He's riding a bull. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean I, a horse, you know. Bucking, he's just riding a horse. She no, kept but, saying bucking bronco, and I'm like, what does that have to do with Greek mythology? With the minotaur. Yeah. yeah, it has nothing. It's not a minotaur. And so I think that's kind of crazy. Um, uh, and then she tried wrong. to connect the maze to like the labyrinth with the minotaur at the middle, the big monster, and Jack is the minotaur and he's hunting Danny. And I'm like, that's coincidental. I but... think it may be inspiration. Like it might might have been inspired, but I don't Maybe. think it's like I, I don't think there's any under underlying 
meaning behind all yeah. that. I think that's probably just, you know, I can see him maybe being like, uh, like a puppet master or like controlling or like looking down and mm. seeing them being trapped in the thing. And maybe you could somehow relate that to her idea of him being a minotaur. I think it's too much of a stretch. I don't think there's enough to really support the whole idea of him embodying a minotaur. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a really weak argument to say, oh, well, the skiing poster looks like his legs are tiny and that could be a minotaur because there's a horse poster. It just, it's, it falls, it falls apart pretty instantly. Yeah, I can't get behind it, man. I can't either. I really can't. I can't get um, behind her train of thought on that one. But think, uh, some of the other theories were really thought provoking. I liked the one, the lady who drew out all the maps and the hmm. architecture of this, of the, of the building. Um, the I impossible she, window was interesting. Yeah, the impossible window was interesting because Kubrick was clearly trying to lay something out there. Um, but I love the when she laid out the um, Danny's uh, tri his, uh, his what do they call those big wheel his his big wheel um his big wheel tracks Root. yeah. his roots because um, he went around the bottom floor of the hotel once or uh, in one scene. And then the next scene, he's upstairs, and he's sort of elevated at the same moment as the events with Wendy are happening. And, like, you have the haunting in, in the room uh, yeah. going on, and, and Wendy's freaking out, and she's talking to herself. She's like, all I need to do, you know, we just need to last for a few more months. We'll be okay. And she's talking to herself. And Annie, and, and it's, it's representative of Danny being on this elevated level of thought, because he's got what's his uh, little friend's name? The spirit that possesses him. Um, I don't know that it even is a spirit, but the thing that's possessing him. Was he? Uh, called oh, it? oh, oh. Um, is it called? It's um, some weird name like Jim or something. It's um, <laughs> Jim. I don't. I don't know if it's Jim. Is it Steve? I feel like it's a really simple Steve. name. Steve. It's not Steve. My my um, imaginary friend Steve. Steve. Yeah. Um, no, let me see if I can pull it up. Um, anyway, he's on this elevated level of thinking because he has another entity telling him. Also, Jack is not the only one getting new information. Oh, yeah. Danny's little friend is telling him new information all the time. From the beginning. From the beginning of the movie, which clearly alludes to the fact that Danny has some sort of spirit or ghost or something is either haunting him or possessing him but it's not an evil entity because it helps Danny yeah it helps Danny not only escape from Jack but it warns Wendy because yeah, the whole the red rum sort of thing Danny he's trying to warn her the reason he writes it backwards is because he can't think in the same mental plane as Danny because he's not Danny and he's not in the same dimension. Yeah, and he's mirrors only, are played on only, a lot too. He, he's only using Danny as a platform to warn Wendy. So he's a, like a good spirit. He's a pro, he's a protagonist in the movie. Yeah. He's a minor character, but he helps progress the story by moving it along he also provides new information proving yeah, that he's an entity other than danny he's not part of danny's subconscious because he provides danny new information by showing him the elevator with the blood 
yeah. in his bedroom before which is, they even get to the hotel. Exactly, which is kind of it. Kind of it's kind of interesting because if you take a step back and you look at it, kind of uh, from another perspective, mm. just being the fact that this was happening before the hotel. Mm. So there's more than just the hotel holding these spirit these these evil spirits there's more than that yeah there's another subset that's that's outside of the hotel mm-hmm. danny where, where... and the uh, the the black guy i forget his name um, um they both name... have this thing called the, the shine it's yeah. uh it, it's it's a uh, halloran 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 that's his name but i don't think they use his name all that much mm. um because they, they even say that you know when he has when he calls him doc doc they yeah. never they never called him doc before then so there's this this so what you're saying is there there is this new information that comes into play with these um these these people that can shine mm-hmm. and the hotel is you know if, if you really look at it it's like it's really a movie about evil spirits versus good spirits um yeah because there's no as far as as far as we know there's no shining character there's no character that can shine yeah with uh with the um grady's killing of his family you know i, I don't believe there was a shining no, character no grady is just a amalgamation of all the past evil spirits that have haunted the hotel yeah and he is passing on he's like handing the mantle down to jack through a yeah. series of tests and one of those tests is murdering his family and, yeah, and, and 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 this this thing that is possessing Danny and giving him this ability for to shine is clearly some sort of good spirit who just got somehow got stuck with Danny or just provide uh um resides in Danny. He doesn't hurt Danny. He doesn't put Danny in harm's way. He just shows him things. Yeah, wait, that wait, scare him. You know, he says, and he even tries to comfort Danny at the one scene where he says, um, remember what, uh, Mr. Whatever his name said, it's just a vision. It's not real. He's comforting Danny. So he's some sort of spirit that exists outside of Danny's consciousness. And I think he exists outside of Danny's consciousness because he provides Danny new information about the hotel. Yeah, and, that and Danny honestly, could not have possibly known before. I'm I'm honestly surprised that 237 did not talk about um, this sort of uh, conflict between good and evil spirits. I agree because because when you break it down, that's really all it is. Um, like, look, I don't look, think that's all at, it is. I think that's well, a lot of what it is. I think yeah, exactly. I think that's what kind of the main. Um, if you had to break it down, that's what the main thing is. It's it's the evil spirit that's that's haunting this hotel that's being passed down from caretaker to caretaker. Yeah. Um, versus this new entity that I don't think the hotel. I'm gonna make a, a guess and say the hotel hasn't encountered people who can shine except for the um, except for uh, Halloran, because because he can shine obviously, but he recognizes you know there's some bad stuff in this hotel. Yeah, he's able to it, see it. He's able to sense it. Yeah, the, the, and the no one else blind is. to. No yeah, he's blind is. to it except for him. Yeah. Um, and then so, yeah, Danny. I think that's interesting. And I think that Danny reaches out to him. all the way uh, to florida exactly it's it's crazy with his uh Um, naked naked, afro uh, women afro women yeah yeah that's interesting that's a that's an interesting shot um and i think it's just um i think that is the shift from um this mantle being passed down Mm -hmm. where it didn't it didn't pass down quite the right way and i think it's maybe a little bit sort of muck 
muddy as as far as if the mantle was passed down because he didn't succeed but he's still in the photo yeah so it's still kind of but he died the same way that i think grady died um but yeah there's some there's some interesting more interesting theories that go on in room 237 uh the documentary like the um another thing was is the uh the movie at the end of the at the end of the documentary they start talking about this idea um retracing steps Mm -hmm. and um the fact that there's so many mirrors in the movie and there's so many like walking backwards which i thought was interesting um because there is there's a lot of like that scene where oh my gosh the 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 one take of um uh jack you know starting to get angry with wendy as they're walking backwards and she has a bat and they're starting to walk up the stairs and you know it's wendy my wife light of my life my life Oh, such such a good scene. Um, it's great. And the and then when he's walking backwards in the snow, um, the snowy maze, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's definitely something there. And I think that um, the I think this is on. I think this is right on. I think the documentary get this right gets this right where they say it's kind of um, gives the idea of playing the movie backwards. Yeah. And and I they, loved they, that. I thought that was that was awesome. amazing. And I think that a lot of times that can be just um, just crackpot like theories that are just totally not true with i think maybe some other movies but i think this is like on point i think this is really actually accurate Mm -hmm. because they start playing it backwards and there's a lot of scenes that line up in weird ways well stanley kubrick we know for a fact has always been or was always heavily involved in the editing process of his movies he was very hands-on in directing the editing team what to put where and how to put it yeah, and I think that makes for um, for an interesting uh, interesting watch of it mm-hmm. being overlaid with the movie playing backwards. Yeah. Um, and um, <coughs> yeah, I think uh, I can't recall any specifics, but um, yeah, there's there's some weird things coming to light. Like I think one is where he's talking with Grady in the red bathroom mm-hmm. and uh danny is doing the shine like he's shining and you just see him like looking up in the, the sky with like twinkles in the eye and is like he has some spit really because he's like he's shining right then and i think that's I, I i can't help but um i can't help but say i think i think there's something to that uh, i i really do what do you mean like the fact that things line up i think it was intentional that they line up and i think they are almost like another level of of the movie and how um like the it's almost like did you see the movie by um the movie arrival yeah and how that movie is like time for these aliens moves doesn't move you know present it doesn't it's not linear and how like it's kind of circular Uh and i think this movie is kind of similar in that way where it's kind of a circular story of good versus evil on a very basic level and how it's kind of never ending and if you play it and it's i'm kind of coming up with the crackpot theory here but it's kind of never ending it's circular so if you play the movie backwards the front it's always the plot is always sort of the same where it's this this uh conflict between good and evil um so i think that's interesting i think there's something to that i i don't know quite yet on the specifics i guess of why you can play the movie backwards and forwards but i think there's something there uh, and i don't think it's a, a crackpot yeah yeah i mean who knows he's dead we can't ask him anymore exactly yeah i mean i'm surprised he honestly talked as much as he did the reincarnation that that's that's straight from him um i'm surprised he talked about it honestly Mm. oh 
But yeah, overall, I really enjoyed 237. I've watched it many times. I'll probably still watch it because, gosh, it's just littered with so many um, interesting things. Yeah, it was a great documentary. I really enjoyed it. Um, all right. Well, that was The the Shining slash Room 237. And people who haven't seen either of those are going to be really lost by now. Oh, yeah. You should definitely have seen both of these movies. And then come I... back... Then come back and rewatch this part of the podcast, and then you'll be like, "Oh, yeah, I see what they're yep. talking about." Yeah, and and I um I did have in my notes I I'll, I like to do when we're talking about movies I'll put like some pros and cons and just some basic things talking points. Okay. Uh, for The Shining, I, I just put under pros masterpiece. Okay. And there's no cons. Okay. Um, yeah. So, enough said there. I, the one other thing that I wanted to mention is the shot where they're zooming in. And it's so steady on 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 the uh, maze, and I'm like trying to figure out. I was trying to figure out how they did that shot. Uh-huh. That was actually um, so basically the uh, it, it was it was actually tiny figures of them uh, walking around like tiny little models, and then um, it, it was it was shot in a um, like near an apartment building, and uh, they were kind of they were overlaid together, so they were they were like composited of them walking around but then also there being like a like a model um by an apartment building where they shot that so they were composited so it actually wasn't a helicopter shot hmm. um so it's kind of crazy how they were able to interlace it and i was watching it and re-watching it and seeing if there's any sort of like lines or any sort of tells where you could see it and there was not. I couldn't see a single thing that it looked like it was perfectly cut yeah. perfectly overlaid together yeah it's it's an editing masterpiece, really. It really is. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's really the bulk of what I've got to say about it. All right, is The Shining ten out of ten for you? Yeah, it's it's an easy hands down ten out of ten. It's films a masterpiece. I I would agree with that. Um, <clears throat> what about Room Two Three Seven? I think I give that a solid um, four point five. Um, it, five. It's not quite a yeah out of five uh, i don't think it's a i don't think it's a masterpiece i think it's really really good and i think that the uh i think the idea that the crackpot theories are a detractor for me it's a plus it's a plus for me because i think they just add to um i think it's a very stark look at the fan theories for this movie it's mm-hmm. very uh there's there's no real editing of it it's just the um upfront good and bad of both uh of the um the ideas that the fans. <coughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's probably a solid four out of five. But out of ten. Out of ten? Um, I do the letterbox standard. Well, I do out of ten, Noah. Okay, out of ten. All right. Well, then... you don't. You, you don't have to. We'll just okay. From like now on, this will be a podcast staple. You rate it out of five, and I rate it out of ten. Fair enough. Leaving out the audience five. more confused. Well, that's um, our job. I would rate. The Shining at 10 out of 10, and I would rate uh, the Room 237 documentary at 7 out of 10, because the crazy theories detracted a little bit from my viewing experience. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. In my personal opinion. So, yeah. I liked it a lot. I enjoyed it. But I thought it was a little ridiculous at some parts. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's a plus for me, maybe minus for you. Yeah. Um, overall, yeah. very, very interesting watch. All right. Cool. Uh, by the way, The Shining only had a budget of $15 million, which is not that much. Oh my gosh. A million? $15 that's million. insane. Oh, $15 million? That's crazy small for what they achieved. That's oh, crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very, very small budget. Hmm. Um, so, let's see here. What else have I got in my notes? I think, uh, I think that wraps it up for movies. You want to talk about Fallout for a little while? Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about some, uh, 76 stuff. Um, obviously, I, we don't, I mean, we could have played the beta, beta. I didn't. I chose not to, um, mm. because I didn't have the time. To, to play it i've watched um, extensive videos i'm trying to just kind of stay in the dark with this one a little bit um honestly because I, I really want to have a kind of unique first experience with it yeah um just because it uh it's a new fallout game and mm. uh, i kind of want to be surprised i don't want to watch too much yeah well um, yeah, looks interesting it's definitely a diversion i don't know man a lot's riding on this game, dude. A lot of Bethesda's, uh, um, a lot of their, uh, their reputation is what I was trying to say. Their reputation is really riding hard on this game, man. It's, I, I will, I'll agree. I think they're, they definitely have a lot riding on this. It is a Fallout game. Uh, I think through and through it'll be a Fallout game. And I think that, uh, that's something that they're going to have to, to deal with because that's not something that the community is just going to be like, oh, it's just a one-off, whatever, multiplayer. No, it's a Fallout game, and they, they really have... Um, they made a... Uh, they set a precedent with Fallout 4, um, mm. which is a little bit different than the earlier Fallout game. Um, a little bit. <laughs> Vastly, it's, it's more of, my friend. Yeah, it's, it's pretty different. I mean, it's obviously a massive difference from the original... Um, Fallout 1, the top Fallout down, 2. 2D. Yeah, the top down. And I've tried to play those, and it's really hard to play those. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, yeah, I mean, from, from Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, it's pretty different. Um, and then, you know, it, with with the multiplayer aspect, I think that'll be interesting. I think it's disappointing that they don't have a real storyline like they did. Um, and it's really just going to be more of a multiplayer sort of base building online interaction will be more of the centerpiece. So I'm not crazy about that. Um, but I think it will be interesting nonetheless to see what they uh, have for us. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean... Oh, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. I mean, it's a Bethesda game. I think it's going to have a lot of... I think that... Bugs. Yeah. Well, one thing I've heard is that it's hard for people to get immersed into the story and the audio tapes and all the tons... Like, they said there's so many audio tapes and the main complete complaint people have is that they can't get into audio tapes because there's too much stuff going around with the players around them which yeah, wouldn't I'm... be a problem if you could play solo but they yeah, purposely I mean, purposefully make the game harder the further you go solo oh that's lame yeah hmm yep that's interesting i mean i would i would love to have like a solo like well i mean obviously me and you are probably going to team up but like yeah that'll give us a little bit more room for the immersion but if you have like a team of four people i mean come on yeah you're gonna steamroll up yeah. um 
but yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Um, I think the whole VAT system is garbage. I'm, I think that's just absolutely terrible. I saw a video of it. I'm, I'm hating it uh, pretty it looks, much immediately. It looks pretty bad, man. I'm, I don't know. I think they should have done away with it. I think that they should have, like they did when they transferred it from the top down, I think they could have just made it something different. I don't think they had to stay with it. It being as early as it was, like because it's 76, it's right when people come out of the vault. I think they could have um, just changed just changed it into a different, completely different game mechanic. I think that would have been totally fine um, because I think Bethesda has a history of doing it with the Fallout games, taking a, a try and true mechanic and just just change, up and changing. It. I mean, they did that with the uh, Fallout Four Vats, where yeah, it's it's not the same. It's like a moving one, which kind of plays off of the way the combat works in that game because the combat's a lot more fluid mm. in Fallout Four than the other ones. So I yeah. think it's fine that they changed it i think that was probably the best um best idea as, as far as vats goes and with this one it just looks bad it just looks absolutely terrible i don't see really any use for it um and i, I think they should have done a much better job with it mm-hmm. yeah um that's one of the things that i'm not looking forward to using that new vat system i uh probably just skip the whole thing the the, the whole vat system and maybe i will i don't know Maybe I will, maybe I won't. I haven't decided yet. I haven't played the game. I don't know. Uh, There are already mods for it. How? There are mods for the beta. Oh my gosh. You think you would give them a little bit of breathing room? Nope. Just like right out the gate with that. It's all visual stuff, obviously. That's fine. I'm fine with that. But. 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 They are teetering on the edge of cheating with some of these mods. And so this is going to be a dangerous game Bethesda has to play in saying, hey, stop making these mods. They make it easier for you and not for other players who don't have them. Yeah, I, I don't so know how they're going to play it. Are they going to, are they going to like try and ban Nexus mods or something? I don't know. I mean, they've always been a huge supporter of the modding community. It's like, how are they really going to... But we've seen a departure from third-party mods and more of a closure onto Bethesda-regulated modding. Yeah. And that's that's the um, that's the console side of it. And, the, I mean, PC side is, is flourishing with, you know, the whole entire modding community still having plenty of access to everything. But yeah, with the console side of it, it's pretty curated. Um, so I, that's interesting, and maybe they're kind of moving towards more of a um, curated only, like like only doing the, um, you know, being it purely regulated by Bethesda. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they took that route. I don't think it'd be the worst route because this being kind of a. Yeah, but man, I, look, if they try and do some sort of power grab thing here. I think it's a bad move. Yeah. Um, I think it's a bad move for the modders to start modding so quickly. I I think that's a really bad idea. I I get it. You're trying to send Bethesda a message that you want mods soon. But if you start making stuff that makes the game easier for you and not other players, Bethesda's going to be way quicker to shut you down. Yeah, I I think that's be better to just wait. Um, I think they they were like, you know, modding is definitely going to come. I think just the fact that Bethesda just needs to make a stable game. Because it's multiplayer. They just need to make a stable game. I, and then we I can f- worry about mods. I foresee 
a cease and desist with Nexus, with the Nexus. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. They've um, done it before um, with some independent mods that have come out for Skyrim and for other stuff. They said, hey, stop working on this. We've already got something in the works that has a little bit to do with what you're working on. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very, very possible they could do a cease and desist. I really hope that's not the case, just because, man, the, the modding community around Bethesda games is insane. It, well, it's really popular. Other game developers have done that for things being modded. An example, and I'll give you an example for a game franchise that I love. So, a couple years ago, uh, 343 Industries, the mm-hmm. inheritors of the Halo franchise, who inherited it from Bungie Studios, um, 343 Industries inherited the uh, Halo franchise, and they wanted to explore PC multiplayer competitive gaming that worked with the Halo franchise. So they set up this modded, modified version of the Halo 3 engine that could run on PC in order to test it for uh, for uh, online multiplayer in Russia. And somehow, uh, an American got a copy of this mod for Halo 3, which Halo 3 came out in 2007, so this is a highly modified version of the Halo 3 engine. Mm-hmm. Um and it's the multiplayer and forge mode only, which is map customization. Um, and so there's no campaign or anything like that. Somehow an American got it, re-released it in the United States under his own title with his own launching system, and called it a mod. And it was called oh. El, El Dorito. Oh, and that's Mi- crazy. And Microsoft didn't know about it for a while. And so they shut down their thing, their test in Russia and said, thanks, Russians, for playing the game for a little while. Didn't really work out. Didn't turn out the way we wanted it. But thanks anyway. Meanwhile, Halo fans have never gotten Halo 3 on PC and haven't gotten a real, actual, legitimate game on Halo game on PC since Halo 2. Hmm. So these modders are going crazy. They're nuts. It's basically just Halo 3 but on PC and a highly modified version of it. And so people start modding this mod to make it more like the original Halo 3 multiplayer. Um, they take all the classic armor and put it back in the game, all the classic guns, and it's called El Dorito. Microsoft, and it gains a huge following, huge, absolutely massive following. Tons of people are downloading the mod. Microsoft finally realizes that that's what's going on, and they're like, oh, crap we need to be making money off this. So they, they send them a cease and desist and say, stop, like, cancel all downloads of the game, and now it can only be downloaded off the Pirate Bay mm-hmm. um, illegally uh, without Microsoft knowing. People still do it. Um, and it's the servers are still up. Microsoft didn't tell them they had to shut down the servers. The servers are still up. But Microsoft did say you have to stop any more production on it. So they're not producing it anymore. The servers are still up. You can still download and play the game. It's Halo 3 on PC. Um, but Halo 3's multiplayer on PC anyway. A modified version of Halo 3's multiplayer on PC that you're able to get even more mods for. So Microsoft sent them the cease and desist. And then they announced that any further PC Halo experiences will be released under 343 Industries. And that that's where the fans are supposed to look. Hmm. And not to mess around. So I would not be surprised if Bethesda did the same sort of thing and said, 
any future mods for our games will be released under Bethesda and under Bethesda's supervision. You're not allowed to get mods from these third-party websites anymore, else you'll get banned from the game. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised if they did something like that. And, and I don't hate that idea. I think I think just the idea purely, I, I don't really hate it. I hate the way that the community is going to react. I think that's going to be a, a They're going to explode, PR. man. Oh, it's going to be the worst. But honestly, just taking a step back and being like, this is kind of a departure. This is kind of more of a one-off thing. I mean, it's Fallout, but it's kind of more of a one-off thing. Yeah. And I think curating it is not a terrible idea for a multiplayer game. The fact that they're like, mods will be coming to a multiplayer game. I That's mean, awesome. What, what, what developer is going to say that? I mean, yeah. like, nobody but Bethesda is going to be like... Granted, we have to wait a year. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... The, the year of that is just them having the game be stable. Yeah, and I think that's a Bethesda thing, and I think they really need to change their engine because it's old and uh, yeah. it, it's time for a new one. And I think that's probably the reason they're having so many problems. Are they doing um, that in Starfield? I don't know. I would guess that they're probably gonna. I, I don't they're know. They're gonna I, have to. Probably. I think they have to. I mean, it's what like it's space. Like three. It's probably like three years away. I think that they would probably have to switch up the engine. I mean, it's it's getting old. Um, but um, very dated. Yeah, it really is, and I think that shows, and I think it's really going to be very telling with seventy six at, yeah. at how at how uh, many bugs and, and glitches and, and problems they're going to have with it, and how long it's going to take to really fix all that stuff. Mm. I think the the beta was a good move. I don't think it's going to really solve everything. I think there's going to be a lot of remaining issues that they're going to have to figure out, and I think that the whole modding thing, saying that the, the fact mm. that they're saying they're going to do it, is crazy. It, it's a, it's a um, it's a uh, RPG developer saying we're going to make the game multiplayer and then they're like we're still going to do mods if they if they do a curated version of it i got no problem with that yeah i really i honestly i think it'd probably be for just the, the game being playable it, it better itself, be mod it better be mods mods and not this whole bethesda uh workshop thing yeah i i really think that they should honestly i think the best thing that they should do they should partner with these big mods these people who are making these um these huge popular mods mm -hmm. we should partner with them yeah and i think that they should start um start cranking them out um but them being kind of approved by the by bethesda or whatever i think well, that's fine because they're multiplayer that, that's fine well then i'm worried about the nexus community then because that's a huge community huge nexus mods has been around since like morrowind forever yeah it's been a long time uh, oh I, yeah I don't, I think I think that they can probably do like a Wild West type thing for PC, where it's kind of like, uh, well, we'll have this server dedicated to, just, and if you don't like it, just don't play in a modded server. Mm -hmm. um, I'd be fine with that, and, and then having more delineations between, hey, yeah. this is a Bethesda approved modding server. There's nothing game breaking. Yeah, There's I think cool stuff. I think for pri uh, private servers would be a cool idea. Like for example, they do this for some of the Call of Duty games that have mods. So. Uh, on Steam. So, like, for example, you see, you load up a server list of all these games being hosted. And yep. the in the title of the game, it'll say, mods, uh, mods needed to join this game. Yep. And so you can click join, and it automatically downloads the mods real quick. Yeah. And then puts you in the game, and you just have them. I mean that's Gary's mod. That's that's, that's Gary's means. mod. Yeah, that's just Gary's mod. It's a totally... guaranteed, proven system that works. Yeah, I got no. I, look, and if Fallout Four, uh, Fallout Four, if Fallout Seventy Six does that, I think it would work very positively in their oh, favor. Yeah. And, and then and then just having private servers be like, 
just whatever. Like you guys yeah. can do whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, having the uh, the host think, decides the mods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think that would be the best route. I still think the community would be upset. I think they'd find a way to be upset with that. Well, the Bethesda uh, community gets upset about everything. Yeah, but they give the the glitches and and bugs and all this stuff passes. They're just eh, it's a Bethesda game. It's no. In problem. the words of the great Todd Howard himself at E three twenty eighteen, degenerates. Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, gotta love Todd. God um, Howard. God Howard, that's right. God himself. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm 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 definitely thinking that it, you know it's the base game looks fun. Yeah, I think it looks great. I think that um, people were saying the visuals look bad. Here's one thing. I'm I got, worried I got about look. optimization. I've heard optimization for PC is not good. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely going to be a point of contention. Um, I don't think I'm gonna. I'm certainly not going to be able to run it at high, think, high, let alone you know max graphics. I don't think I'll be able to max it. I think I'll probably be able to put it on high and, and run 60 frames, no problem. I'll get lucky um, if I get medium at 30. <laughs> yeah, uh, the one thing that people are kind of upset about is the uh, graphics, like the fidelity and how the the nuclear explosion, the nuclear explosion looks uh, Fallout 4 versus 76. I think that's a terrible comparison. What do you mean? I think it's a terrible comparison because in Fallout 4, the explosion is it's a um, it's like a cutscene, like it's pre-rendered, like it's a pre-rendered cutscene. Actually, it's not pre-rendered, but it's it. There's no other explosion that happens like that in the game, and they have it optimized. And um, you, I think at that point you're actually not in control. No, actually, you are in control at that point. You can't move because you're on the you platform. That's right. Yeah. So I've played the game really a billion times, dude. I I know it back and forth. Yeah. So um, so that ex- explosion is pretty uh it's pretty cinematic and it's optimized and designed to be that way what about when you destroy the institute if you destroy the institute and that um, that explosion isn't uh i don't think scripted. I, I don't think i well, i mean it's, it's scripted it. but it's not yeah but the thing about that is is the fact that it is scripted i mean you have the option to do that and they optimize it for that this is totally different this is somebody pushing a button and deciding a place on the map to, pre- uh, to, to blow it up. Yeah, it's not but optimized for it doesn't push- change. It doesn't change things because you don't lose your progress upon death, which is just That's- weird to me. Yeah, I don't. I, it's that, not I challenging. Don't, yeah, I mean, I think that they could have a plethora of modes, and I think that would all be really cool to have different ways to play. And, and the thing about the nuclear explosion I was talking about, it's because people are upset with how it looks. The optimization for Fallout 4 is completely different in this sense scenario. Because uh, kind of. Well, this because is just the, a build of Fallout 4. Well, yeah, but the thing about it is that, um, like, it's scripted in Fallout 4 when nukes happen, but it's not scripted at all. It's totally player generated whenever there's a. a you nuclear... mean 76? Yeah, 76. It's yeah. it's totally it's totally player generated when and where it happens. So you can't really optimize everything to make that work. It just because it really only works scripted, sort of cinematic oh. way. You see what I'm saying? Kind of. So I think the um, I think that it'll totally uh, pan out the right way. And I think there's I think you just have to make a delineation between scripted, cinematic moment as opposed to like a, just a game mechanic because that's what it is. It's just a game mechanic. It was never yeah. a game mechanic in Fallout Four. I think it's totally different, and it's hard to compare them because they're just completely different things. Yeah. 
like, are they upset that, like... That it looks bad. Like, visually. I haven't seen it, so I don't know what it looks like. It, I'll, I'll give it to them. It doesn't look great. Um, but <laughs> I think... I, but, I mean, I think that's comparing the two. It doesn't look great, but I'm just recognizing the fact that one's a cinematic, optimized yeah. moment, and the other's a game mechanic. Yeah. Um, and you have to you have to realize that, and not just... and. It, also, they were way closer to it, so the effects were different. I think it's just I think you just can't compare them. Um, but but I think overall, I think the game looks yeah. good. So I'm. Uh, it looks it. it looks positive so far. Yeah. I look forward to playing it on when when does it come out? The fourteenth. Yeah, fourteenth. It's um it's Tuesday, I believe. Tuesday, November fourteenth. I'll be buying it day one. What do you think? I'm I'm trying to figure out where I'm gonna buy it. I thought about buying it on, Amazon, but I think I won't get it day one then. You said on Amazon. Yeah, because you get like a you get like ten bucks. You get like a ten bucks uh, Amazon credit if you do it there. Yeah, so I was thinking about doing that. I might just pre-order it digitally. I don't mm. know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. But yeah. Well, that's about our time. It's been two hours. Uh, I would have liked to have gotten into Bioshock today, but I think that we're cutting it pretty long with this one as it is. Yeah. Um, Noah, thank you. Thank you so much for enlightening me about Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that, and thank you for joining yeah. Very much. me for this podcast. Mm. Um, I would like to... Make a shout out to uh, to anyone who's listening. I would like to say we have a Discord server, and uh, we've just recently gotten some folks in there, some cool folks. Um, we post a lot of really uh, pre- really dank memes in the Discord server. Only very the dankest, edgy. very edgy, dank memes um, in our Discord server. Uh, it is the number one hotspot for memes in the entire world. Um, and that's a proven fact and you can't find better memes anywhere else other than our discord server. So don't even, don't don't even bother. Don't try. try. Exactly. Don't Don't try. try. Don't listen, listen, don't test me. Don't go to other discord servers. Look at ours. Our memes are better. Yeah. Maybe you'll find a different discord server that has all right memes, but our memes are going to have our, our discord server is going to have the best memes. Okay. Yeah. And Hey, do I take some of them from iFunny? Sure. <laughs> yeah, but, you're gonna, you're gonna see a little bit of Noah's eye funny logo on there. That's yeah, not okay. Some watermarks. That's not okay, man. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna blast you about those eye funny watermarks. Well, um, you know what? I have a day job, so I don't have time to go through Reddit. <laughs> I don't go to Reddit. Oh, okay. Well, Do I look like a pleb to you? Do I sound like a pleb? Well, we've never met in person, and this is yes, we have. Over, That's um, wrong. He's making that up. We know well, anyway, each other in person. That's our time. Stop. Um, yeah, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, check us out on Discord. We'll smash get some that s- like. Smash, smash the like button. Obliterate it. Obliterate it. Send it to space. Um, like Tesla. Yeah. And uh, share with your friends. We're going to have a, a special guest star on for our next podcast i think who could it be our friend jacob oh okay he's not a celebrity guest or anything he's just our friend 
He's a celebrity to the podcast. How about that? Yeah, yeah. He's our little celebrity. <laughs> our star. Our star. Yeah, our little star. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you two weeks from now uh, for our next podcast. And I look forward to hearing from you guys in the comments section. So leave a comment. Tell us what you thought. Share it with your friends. And uh, until next time, this is the For Future Reference Podcast. And we are signing out. See you.